Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast. Alongside Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman as uh, we are wrapping up the 2014 Division Three football season. And along with it, Stag Bowl 42, a game in which Wisconsin Whitewater defeated Mount Union by the score of 43-34. Uh, you know, we, obviously we've had a particular format to this podcast. Keith and I will still hand out game balls. I, I think that uh, you'll probably pretty closely conform to the uh, most outstanding player ballots that we filed with uh, the, uh, uh, the our handlers here at uh, Salem Stadium. And then we'll uh, wrap up the, uh, the Division Three football season. But of course, Keith, uh, we have to talk about the game, the only game that happened since our last podcast, and that was the one here tonight in which, oh, let's see, how should we describe it? Uh, uh, Whitewater goes out uh, and at the end of the second quarter has a flurry going into the locker room uh, and goes up 16 points. Mountain Union comes back out, immediately makes it a game, bam, bam, uh, three scores to go up by one and then immediately the game turns right back around on a 75 yard screen pass yeah and it, w it was a play that maybe should be a 10 or 20 yard play but Dennis Moore got out in space and uh, turned on the Jets he got a couple of blocks downfield and turned that screen pass into a 75 yarder and that was one of those plays that fit within the chess match of the game and it really was a chess match tonight the strategy was you know constantly evolving throughout the night. Mountain Union couldn't get any pressure in the first quarter, so in the second quarter they figure out some ways to, to get some blitzes home and, and to change up how many down linemen they're rushing and to throw some different looks at, at Whitewater. And so third quarter they're, they're actually getting pressure, they're making tackles around the line of scrimmage, and Whitewater pulls out a screenplay that hasn't run all game, and, it, and it, they barely run at all. And we talked about this a little bit in the post game. And, uh, and it was actually Dennis Moore, I believe, who said, you know, there are plays that we practice we, we run them, and we, we know we're only going to get them called one time in the game. So that one time it's called, we got to hit it exactly correctly, and they hit that one. And that was a game changer. Now, Vince Karras, he didn't think the game was, was over at that point, and it certainly wasn't. It really was the um, once Mountain Union made it 40-34, gave the ball back to Whitewater with 9.33 left. Whitewater has a 6-minute, 28-second drive, kicks a field goal with their backup kicker, who also did their punting and their kickoffs today. Uh, and the guy who had missed a 24-yarder early in the game, that gave it, made it a two-score advantage, and it was 43-34 final. I thought this game lived up to everything we thought it would be. You know, nine points is not necessarily like a last-second one-point winner, but it was such a back-and-forth game. It was great. It was one for the ages. It had play, plays that we'll remember for a long time, the Jake Kumaro catch. Um, you know, Kevin Burke obviously showed his heart by, by leading the team back. Uh, Mountain Union. We're sure to point out, hey, we only have 11 seniors. We will be back next year. And you yeah. know, if history is any indication, they, they probably will. I think if you uh, go up and count up the number of times uh, there was a next year for them to be back, uh, I think more often than not they would have gotten. Uh, they w they will have gotten back. They are. Uh, they are. Uh, they've. Of course, this was their 17th Stag Bowl. Uh, 11 and 6 here in Salem. Six losses to Whitewater. Uh, they've got to be pretty happy to see Lance Leipold move on. Yeah, and there's a huge question now on who's going to take over this job and will the program be the same. Now, for another coach who's already established, say, from another Midwestern program, uh, you know, playoff level program or pretty good 7-8 win team type of program who already has an idea of how to coach a very good team to come to a, pro uh, a program that's ready-made to, to at least get back to the playoffs. Well, we're not going to assume that you could just get to Salem like it's nothing, even though Whitewater and Mountain Union certainly make it look that way sometimes, but it's going to be a very attractive job, just like when the St. John's job was open, you know, or, or job, but uh, more attractive. It's, it's 
the most attractive job opening. Remember when Mount Union switched coaches, there, there wasn't an opening. It was just a, a, a baton pass from Larry Karras to Vince Karras. So I can't think of a time where we've had a, a, this high profile a job open. The St. John's one is the only one that kind of compares. And uh, that, that, that that's going to be a big question heading into next year. Can Are they going to be able to do it again? You know, they lose uh, Matt Barrett. They lose Brady Gravel, but they bring back the whole offensive line. Uh, Kumaro will graduate. Maybe he'll have, a, he'll have a shot in the NFL. So it'll be a different Whitewater team next year. White, uh, Mountain Union will be loaded. There are other teams that, that were pretty great this season that, that may be back. Uh, you know, we'll talk about Linfield and Wesley and, and Wartburg and, and all these other teams as we, as we do our final top 25s and stuff too. But um, I just thought this was a stag bowl that could have been boring if, if you just kind of left it at, well, here it is. It's Whitewater and Mountain Union again, but it had so much subtext with Mountain Union getting blown out last year and, and you know, Kevin Burke two-time Gallardi Trophy winner, wanting to go out on top and avenge that loss. Lance Leipold moving on to Buffalo, taking a lot of the, his, his best coaches with him. And, uh, and it really lived up to, to what we thought it could live up to. And after last year, we were all a little bit cautious. The National Championship Trophy just now finally leaving the field, uh, uh, along with uh, Dylan Meringue and uh, Pat Suffield, who have been uh, holding on to it here uh, as we are now, I would have to guess, what, about uh, an hour past uh, the, the, final, uh, the final gun in this game. I, I want to talk about something, though, Keith, that uh, I found very interesting. Uh, going back to when you mentioned the chess match that was taking place here tonight, what I saw was a whole lot of... Uh, substitution uh, is going on on the defensive side for Mount Union. They would hold off this group of uh, three defensive linemen slash linebackers just outside the numbers and then make a real last-second decision whether to run them on the field or run them off. And, and what, was your, uh, what was your take on, the, on how that was played out? Yeah, it would be hard for me to say, having looked at it in live action, exactly what they were doing because it was so varied, but, and, and that was the point of it. But I can tell you this, there was, a, there was a time in the game where they had no down linemen, and yeah. they sent a bunch of people. There was a time in the game where they had two down linemen and four linebackers all walk up to the line of scrimmage, and then all six of them blitzed. Um, there were times where they had three down linemen. Their base D is, is a 4-2-5, but they, there were times when they brought in six defensive backs and, uh, and, le and played with four safeties on the field, which is, is fairly rare. You know, even when teams go dime, they usually have a bunch of corners out there. So that they, they were using four safeties so those guys could cover, but then they could come up and, and tackle. And there were, there were certainly several points in the game where I think Coach F and, and Pogarell made some huge plays that, to help Mountain Union get off the field and get that offense back on the field. But for Mountain Union, you know, the turnovers hurt them early. The, they certainly had some, some untimely penalties, but they got back in the game. I mean, the third quarter was something they could, you know, was like a masterpiece that they could hang up in their, in their football annex building. And I know they, they got much better stuff hanging up their championships and all that, but it really was uh, the moment that, that defined this team, even though they didn't win. I think they're, they're going to, when they sit back and think about it a little bit, you know, they, they could have really folded the tents at 30 to 14, and they came out and, and made it a great game in the third quarter. Kevin Nias, our, uh, you know, our, our friend, the correspondent, who was, uh, was watching this game at home, referred to what Mountain Union was doing on defense when it was successful at it as a kind of an amoeba defense. Yeah, I mean, it looked like something different every play, and that's why I'm, I'm saying, well, I can't exactly tell you what it was because, uh, you know, I'd have to look at it several times in slow motion to try to figure it out, and that was part of the, the point of it. I think Mountain Union came out, and, and, and initially they wanted to play um, – 
a defense where they could rush with just four and then they could they could sit back in coverage because they were bracketing Kumaro pretty much all night. They had not just Trey Jones on him, but they almost always had a safety over top of him. They decided they were not going to let Jake Kumaro beat us, and they didn't, to, you know, to their credit, although he had eight catches for 130 yards and a touchdown and uh, 16 yards per catch. There, he, did, he wasn't uh, open on every play by any means. You know, Whitewater had to dig deep to, uh, to, to, to get those yards. They had to go to other guys. They had to use Justin Howard and Dennis Moore and rush Jordan Ratliff 24 times you know, to, to get this victory. Well, I think just look at a, a couple of things. One is, we, we talked earlier, especially at halftime, how much uh, Whitewater had thrown the ball. And they end up throwing the ball to nine different guys uh, on Saturday, on Friday night. But in the end, of course, it turns into rock pounding, which it pretty much always does with the, uh, you know, with the Warhawks. Uh, and in the second half, I'm just looking at the play breakdown. It's, uh, it ends up being 21 rushes to if i can't do math fast enough is that uh that's 15 passes or even go into the fourth quarter and it was uh 15 rushes and just four passes in the fourth quarter when they needed it and that drive to bleed the clock was huge yeah there was no time when it stood out more than that and that is you know textbook whitewater pounding the rock uh the run i can't even remember if it was more or ratliff but where he carried guys for, you know, about five or ten yards after he broke through the line. I mean, that that's Whitewater in a nutshell. He did it last week at the end of the game against Linfield. And uh, it, it's it's the, the thing that we, we're going to wonder, is that going to stay true when the offensive coordinator leaves and, and goes to Buffalo with, uh, with Lance Leipold? You know, Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator, is going to Buffalo as well. Darrell Igpalsa and uh, a couple of the other coaches, I think he's taken – four or five Whitewater guys with him, uh, including like a, a Aaron um, Kotelnicki. I don't know why I struggle, because I, I want to call him Kostelnik, that's who, <laughs> which is which is old Mountain Union safety stuff. That's, that's how long Andy. we've been doing this. Andy, Andy Kotelnicki. Yeah. yeah, we have uh, so much stuff just bouncing around my brain from 15 years of, of stag bowls. So uh, forgive me if you're there listening. But he's he's taking a good bit of this coaching staff. And so the question is, is he going to take the identity? Well, Whitewater literally has a rock yeah. in the ground <laughs> at their stadium, so they're not going to, you know, they're going to still say pound the rock, but when they're going through to hire a coach, they're going to try to hire the best coach. If it's a guy who loves to run spread offense and, and throw the ball, then yeah, I don't know if, if the pound the rock identity stays. So th that's one of the big questions going forward. Who's going to be quarterback for Mount Union next year? Mount Union may have a loaded roster. But but we don't know if it's going to be Therese Scott or someone else. Uh, and you know uh, Bob Berezowitz, of course, who was uh, part of the whole rock pounding to begin with and uh, led the first two teams here, continues to stick around the uh, Whitewater program, and he will have a, a he will have a role to play in the uh, determining of the uh, next coach. That is for sure. Um, we have uh, three season-ending awards to hand out. You want to start with the easy one? Which one is the easy one? I think Coach of the Year is the easy one. Oh, good. Yeah, that's I definitely have an opinion on that. Well, go ahead. Um, yes, I opinion. My opinion is we should start with the easy one. I was I was can't say I was close to the program, but I was near uh, Linfield last week um, at Whitewater. And for that program to go through uh, what they went through, losing one of their teammates in a senseless act of violence um, in, in week 11, after the you know the regular season is over and for them to turn around and, and play football they handled it in in the most 
ideal way. Obviously, they're grieving, and football is not the most important thing at that time, but they used it as a time um, to come together and just cherish the, the, the time they had. And so they, they were able to play well enough to extend that time to, to four weeks and really honestly could have been on this field here in Salem tonight had they made one more play on that final drive. They drove down to the 20-yard line against, against Whitewater, and Whitewater was only leading that game 20-14. to 14. So uh, I, I think you go with, uh, with Joe Smith from Linfield for, for the job he did keeping those guys together. And, and he'd probably say, well, it, you know, it wasn't me, it was the players, and to be honest, who wants to get a Coach of the Year award under these circumstances? Not having won the title or played for the title, right? And, you know, but I can't imagine what it's like to, to, to go through that and then to try to turn around and play football. And they did it, and they, and they were humble about it, and, and they reminded us that, um, you know, it's a joy to play this game, and it's a joy to be around here. And, and I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn saying this, but I, I feel like they, they probably made Parker more proud. I um, just have, feel like I have to present the alternate view at the very least because you've made a very compelling argument for a guy who I didn't really uh, think about coming into this conversation. I mean, you know, generally, when we get to this point, we're thinking about the guys who are coaching here today. Uh, well, right? <laughs> but, I mean, you've, you've made a really good argument. My goodness. Yeah, and, and Lance uh, Leipold has obvious, obviously got to be in the discussion as well. Not only did he, he beat that Linfield team, but um, he created the distraction, said it himself. He said, I wish I wasn't a distraction to this team um, back uh, on the week that they played Wartburg. Had to go to Buffalo early in the week and then come back and coach this team. Made up his mind that he was going to stay in, in Wisconsin and finish this thing out, and boy, did they, did they finish it. You know, For them to not only win it, but to have to win it in the fashion they did, to come from behind down 33-16 against Wartburg, uh, I may have said that sentence like 500 times recently. Uh, <laughs> and and, and uh, having it to hold off a final drive to beat Linfield and then uh, to, to kind of you know, fall behind in the second half of the Stag Bowl and, and pull it out. And he kept that all together too. Um, certainly there's a case for him. And I don't even think uh, either of those two guys we've nominated, both West Region coaches, were the West Region Coach of the Year. No, that was Rick Willis, which who is had, a <laughs> had a great season also. And it, his team could have been here tonight, you know, f if not for a couple of plays that, that uh, went Whitewater's way late in that game. I mean, they, they, they led that one. So you got a lot of pretty compelling cases just in the West Region alone. And they're, they're you know, 244 teams, so obviously some pretty awesome um, um, jobs done this season. I've got a tweet loaded up. Good to send it. I'm I am definitely on board with that. You sold me. Joe Smith of Linfield is the D3Football.com Coach of the Year. Congratulations. Uh, all right. Oh, thank yes. Uh, applause from the uh, peanut gallery. That's good from the uh, from the Danettes back here. No. Um. <laughs> all right. Um, why don't we move on with Defensive Player of the Year? It's, this is going to be an interesting discussion. I really think, you know, generally how we look at this, Keith, is you, we kind of pick out who's the, who was the best linebacker, who was the best defensive lineman, who's the best uh, cornerback or uh, best defensive back, and those are the guys we generally talk about. And so um, it's interesting. Uh, Alex Hoff certainly had a, a really fantastic uh, playoff run, and I think that's already reflected in the fact that he moved past a bunch of defensive linemen to get onto the first team All-American team. Uh, Tyree Coleman had this fantastic game against uh, Wesley, uh, the you know the toughest team that they faced. He was really dominant on the defensive side, and then when he went out injured, Wesley pretty much had its uh, run the rest of the game. 
Uh, Sustin Capapula, I think, is the best of the linebacker crew. Uh, Brady Grable, I, I think we may have heard of this guy. He might have even done something here tonight to help his uh, help his cause. And Alex Kochev had 17 tackles. I mean, the Mountain Union defense might still even be on the field right now. Um, that is, those are these are the guys. Uh, I think are the candidates. Anybody else on the first team of the rest of the 11 uh, we should be talking about? No, I mean, I think you you, you got the the main guys, and obviously all the all Americans. Remember, there are. What twenty thousand or so? Twenty-five thousand. Yeah, kids start the year. I always want to. Yeah, I want to <laughs> ratchet it down just in case I don't over nope. overdo it. But yeah, twenty to twenty-five thousand players. You know, at least seventy-five to hundred kids on each roster, give or take a Maranatha Baptist. It it averages a hundred. Yeah. Right. So you're talking about the the eleven best defenders in the country, and I think you, as we narrow it down, you know, we may get a little. Uh, we're, we're nitpicking between the best and the best of the best, the cream of the crop and the and the creamiest, but. You know, I think you got to take Sustin Capapula off the board. The, uh, the the team gave up 70 points in in his last game. Um, I don't know how you, you 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 go go out that way, and then and then we name you All American unless you were so so dominant or prior name you to that. The All American, All American. The yes, I'm sorry, the, the defensive player of the year. He's clearly an All American, and, and the guy is is a, is a heck of a player. And I think of you know there may be five people. Who all I believe are on this All American team. There may be five guys who get a get a shot in the NFL next year, and, and he's on that list. Um, Brady Gravold, you can make a case for. He may, had a pick six tonight in, in the Stag Bowl. Maybe but not the best cornerback on his team. It's just a, so here's the thing, right? Um, and obviously, uh, as the guy who really kind of laid out where these guys ended up on this team, I, it may surprise to hear me say this, but uh, we uh, I did my. Uh, I did my survey of all 244 coaches. Uh, what I wanted to find out was a couple of things. One, about offensive linemen, because we don't get stats for them. Two, about cover corners, because, you know, when we missed on Tony Beckham from Wisconsin Stout, because he had just one pick all year, because nobody threw that guy's way at all, and then he goes on to play, like, four years for the Tennessee Titans, right? Uh, after that happened, it's like, you know, we don't want to make that mistake again. Uh, statistics don't tell the story on everything. Who are the guys that you're throwing away from because you don't want them to beat you. And Marcus McClinn's name came up, you know, and so if it means, you know, you're throwing at on Brady Gravold's side a lot, or, you know, maybe just trying to throw in uh, Winsky's direction or something like that, that to me was a bit of a surprise and, and speaks volumes. So that's just the only reason why I throw that out there to you guys who played defensive back and get your take. It, it's certainly true. The guys who get a lot of picks are the guys who are getting thrown at, and the really, really great DBs generally don't get thrown at that much. It's... Uh, Certainly, Marcus McLean didn't do anything to damage his case tonight. He's playing on a ankle that he hurt in the Wabash game. Tried to play against Warburg, couldn't do a whole lot. Played the first quarter against Linfield, had to leave that game again. Uh, he, he said, <coughs> he said Sam, referring to Sam Riddle, the Linfield quarterback, first name basis. He said Sam had to throw a short route, and I had to break on it and break my ankle again. So he, uh, on a short week, was able to to play tonight. You know, last game of the season, leave it all out there. And not only did he cover well, but he uh, he had the big strips um, that, uh, that that changed the game before the half. The strip on Terry Scott and then the pick. Um, Do we eliminate Gravold from this discussion? That was a long back backdoor way of saying you, you eliminate Gravold. So we're down to to uh, Alex Hoff, Tyree Coleman, and Alex Kochef. Kochef, I think, goes in the line of, of great Mountain Union safeties. Uh, whether you go back to, to Nick Driscoll and Matt Kostelnik and, and maybe even further than that. But 
you know, sometimes we get a little too focused on, on the stag ball, and there are great players who are on teams who aren't quite as great, but those players brought, their, brought the level up. And, and, and Tyree Coleman is certainly a guy who, as long as he's been at Hobart, Hobart's done about as well as you can expect for, uh, for a team from the Liberty League, and he, he was a handful to deal with in the Wesley game. Now here's, yeah, uh, we talked about the Wesley game, and here's one of the other things that I, I think sticks out for me, which would why I would put him up at, at this level for this candidacy. Um, you remember last year, uh, it's a guy who was double-teamed and triple-teamed a lot, and he struggled, right? He did not, you know, his sack totals went in the tank. Uh, you know, they had to, they just, he did not have anywhere near the, the type of season because defense is really focused on him. You know, this year, um, you know, I'm frank, did, did, they double, did teams double team him less? No, they definitely were still doing it. No, they definitely were still doing it, he says. I, I'm sorry, I'm translating because you're not in the mic. No, there you they, go. They definitely were still doing it. I mean, yes, maybe there's a little more balance on the ends by Hobart overall in terms of strength, but it was definitely still Tyree Coleman getting double teamed more often than not throughout the season. Yeah, and see, I think that, you know, with the great season he had this year, and again, uh, just uh, a defensive domination of, you know, Wesley, which is not, uh, admittedly, maybe not the only team to def defensively dominate Wesley, but uh, I, I thought that that was the reason why he really elevated his game again this year, even though this is a guy who has been a uh, force for four years. And then yeah. we have, on the other side, uh, unless you want to answer that, we would just talk about Alex Hoff for a second, um, a guy who... Uh, wasn't first team all region, but that is a vote that's taken at the end of the regular season, and then he just crushed in the playoffs. And yeah. you saw him play last week. Uh, well, the Widener game was really the one where he stood out, the five sacks, and, and, you know, that's the difference between a really, really good D3 team and, and a great elite D3 team, having guys like that, and uh, they were able to get um, get off the line so quickly that, that they made you know Widener's line look average and that and that's a team that was 12 and 0 going into that game Hoff had five sacks uh, he certainly was a factor against the Whitewater line and we saw tonight here in Salem how good uh, that line was so uh, you know if only uh, you don't want to you don't want to say well well we gave it to the to the coach so let's not give it to Alex Hoff but I think he could make a, a, a pretty great case for uh, for him, but but I think if if you're you're gonna make me vote for a guy right now, I probably go Tyree Coleman. Uh, I'm not gonna argue with you on Tyree Coleman. Uh, no relation. I feel like I have to say that every time we name him to an award. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm gonna I would agree with you. So we're in agreement. Yeah, and, and we're gonna and what if he's gonna finish his career with 52 sacks, 52 something like that. Yeah. I mean a bunch of sacks. And that's the, you know, that's the guy that, that teams come in saying, well, we stop him, we're going to be able to move the ball a little bit on this, uh, on this defense, and they still couldn't stop him. And the, uh, so the D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year is Hobart's defensive end, Tyree Coleman. So congratulations again. Yes, 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 indeed. All right, on to the Offensive Player of the Year. Well, we didn't have a guy this in this game who maybe stuck out enough to really run away with the title right I mean Kevin Burke may have been sitting in the driver's seat uh, you know top running back is Dominique Hayden the top wide receivers uh, Kumaro or Rashid Bailey both had really good years um, and I think that you know we have uh, a situation where uh, you know Burke kind of gets crossed off the list unfortunately just because this was not uh, a, a, an offensive player of the year type of night for him, and we're talking about the other guys. 
Yeah, it's, it, well, that's pretty tough. Um, I know, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got to make the tough calls, though. We don't name 630 offensive players of the year. That's a that's a fact. Um, yeah, and you know some of the interceptions tonight. I don't know if they were his fault, but but yeah, you're right. You you, you you're built up to be the guy who delivers uh, in the big games, and uh, and he didn't come through tonight. And it, it I got, you, you know you saw his body language after the game. No one could have been more crushed than he was. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about he's someone who was motivated last year or, or back in 2012 from a loss that he had in eighth grade, then spent a lot of this year talking about the loss in the Stag Bowl last year. So, no, you know, as far as heart of a champion, um, you, you know, Kevin Burke is, is, is ideal uh, D3 player, you know, especially a guy who, you know, we say, well, if, if uh, he was just a little taller, he'd, he'd probably be an be a NFL-type prospect but he's you know 5'10 511 uh and uh just didn't didn't have his best game tonight and some of that was was him some of that was uh his guys not making plays for him and some of that a lot of that was uh was the whitewater defense so um you know i, I may sit here and, and still argue for him but I, I believe i've been overruled and we're gonna move <laughs> move down the line uh so what else do you like well here's the thing about dominique hayden um big thomas moore didn't play 15 games they only played played 10 and the first game against Wesley got to see him in person and, and Wesley shut him down pretty well uh he only ran well, he hit 26 for 92 I think I have that memorized yeah I mean that's not I guess uh, I just want to say all the way down sure, how about okay. held him in check that's fair that's, that's fair that's fair and then he still ends up with you know ridiculous rushing numbers which goes to show that uh that he, he ran through the the pack pretty well but you know you're going to be player of the year all-american and you got it you get only one Two great games. You know, Thomas yeah. Moore played Wesley. They played Washington Jefferson. You got to look at what he did in those games, yep. and uh, those aren't necessarily all American numbers. Not Player of the Year numbers. Gosh, I got to stop saying that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just you know, sorry to be copy editor over here. No man, I don't want those. anybody thinking that you don't think Hayden deserves to be an All American because yeah. I know that's not true. And they, and seriously, outstanding player, bowling ball. I want to tackle him. Um, so what is that? Th where does that leave us? And it leaves us with Kumaro versus Bailey, I guess. Well, Rashid Bailey, I know, will be thrilled to be in this discussion because <laughs> uh, I remember Because they haven't been playing in a while. Yeah, well, not only that, he got passed over for something in, uh, and on Twitter, and he was not too happy about it. Um, but he's uh, deserving All-American. You know, the, the tough thing for Delaware Valley is uh, they're 9-0 and and then got, got beaten by Widener and then got beaten in the uh, first round of the playoffs by Christopher Newport, whereas Kumro got several more chances uh, to, to prove his um, – worthiness i thought the cut the catch tonight where he's double covered he's got a safety draped over him and he makes the 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 catch over the shoulder that's the one of the ones that puts it over the top in my mind i mean just an outstanding catch um and he's a, he's a guy who i mean he's you know you got to go back maybe to pierre to see a guy who probably didn't necessarily even belong in d3 he was so good but uh, but made the most of his career, did everything you asked him to do, you know, whether it was uh, if they needed him to block or, or whatever, he was willing to do that uh, to catch short passes. And the big thing really was when he was out, it was a different offense. And when he came back, Whitewater went back to that other level. Well, I, uh, I think we've come to an agreement then. Yeah, you didn't argue much, but you <laughs> must already, must already <laughs> had your mind made up. <laughs> Uh, Jake Kumaro for the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, the D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year for 2014. So to recap, 
And to reclap, uh, Jay Kumaro of Wisconsin Whitewater, the wide receiver, is the offensive player of the year. Defensive player of the year is Tyree Coleman, the Hobart defensive end, and the coach of the year, Joe Smith from Linfield. Uh, Keith, we are, uh, you know, uh, let's see, we're six hours and 39 minutes into broadcast, but not into podcast. We're, uh, how far are we into the podcast here before I have to uh, hand out game balls? So we're here at the 28-minute mark, and uh, our producer, since we have a producer, is trying to get us to hurry it along. But... Um, he wants to go get some food. Well, and we need to. Yeah, something. he's been here since uh, about uh, one o'clock this afternoon, eleven thirty this morning, something like that. So um, let's talk about game balls. Uh, I know, I believe, I know who you picked for your most often most outstanding player, and I know who I picked for most my most outstanding player. And there were great arguments for both of them. And I'll just say. Uh, I picked the offensive guy, you picked the defensive guy because that's kind of the way it works around here sometimes, oh, right? Oh, I see, I see. Uh, so Dennis Moore was my pick. That's my, who my game ball goes to, um, especially because of this, Keith. You know, uh, he, took that, uh, he took that screen pass and, uh, and took it uh, 75 yards for a touchdown. Then he took another screen pass, another 33 yards in a really big spot. And, you know, Moore had had a really tough first half. Had 10 carries for 31 yards. Uh, that was the uh, sum total of his all-purpose yards, and in the second half, you know, uh, 151 uh, yards of offense. I, I just, I thought those were two really big plays. On a night in which Whitewater obviously had a lot of guys who contributed, uh, I thought that was a, a really unsung, apparently an unsung moment, because I don't know what the voting turned out like for most outstanding player. We only know that Matt Barrett won it, because generally, as was mentioned, quarterbacks kind of win it by default when you don't have anybody else. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, they come and come through and take the vote with five minutes left in the game. Five minutes left in the game, it was still a, a one-score game. Mount, uh, Whitewater hadn't kicked that field goal to make it two scores yet. So, uh, you know, it's hard for us to, to decide who's the player of the game. We're not even sure who's going to win yet. Um, yeah. But at that point, I was, I, I was uh, really impressed by Marcus McLinn. The subtext being, of course, that um, we didn't even know how much he had tonight. What did he have in the tank? What could he give? He, he went out of last week's game with the, uh, with the ankle injury, and uh, he played the whole game tonight. And not only did the guy cover and make tackles and had to fill in returning kicks, which was his normal job that, that they took him off of when he got hurt, when Justin Howard and Ricky Finko got hurt. So now he has to go back and return kicks, too. So he does all that, plays the entire game, but he just makes game-changing plays, and they're heady plays, too. Like a guy makes a catch late in the half, it's really just, you know, a 5, 10-yard, maybe Mount Union trying to get something going, get a quick score before the half. He rips it free, and then Whitewater is able to put some more points on the board, and those ended up being key points. Yeah, I was, uh, I was really impressed with his play, too, no doubt. Uh, a fantastic game for, uh, for Marcus McGlynn. He really, uh, he really fueled that run at the end of the, uh, end of the second quarter, the one in which uh, Whitewater scored 10 points in the final 44 seconds. To we could, have been a could have been an opportunity for them to put the game away or start to put the game away, but at the very least, it gave them the, uh, the cushion to be able to weather the onslaught in the third quarter for Mount Union. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Mount Union storms back 17 quick points and at that point it was only 31-30 and then they turn around and hit the big screen to Dennis Moore. Take nothing away from Dennis Moore. The guy made huge plays in each of the past three games. He has the, uh, the touchdown run that set off the rally against Wartburg, 57-yarder. He had a huge run late in the game against Linfield, which ended up being the game-winning touchdown. And then, uh, and then the big screen pass tonight for the long touchdown. And look, Jordan Ratliff was a, was a heck of a runner as well, split the carries with Dennis Moore. And I don't know if that made uh, Dennis more effective or, or not, but um, 
certainly certainly pretty uh, pretty deserving. A lot of talk this week about uh, how this game might play out in terms of where the uh, final top ten teams might uh, might settle out. And I know that you know we've been at this uh, broadcast for a little while, but I want to get this point in and then uh, a couple of uh, flash drive runs before we. Uh, before we uh, start our thank yous and get out of here for the 2014 Division Three football season. Um, so you know, we talked about how John Carroll and Wheaton are kind of tied together and tied to, uh, that's old school, man. That's, I, my, uh, my top 25 ballot is already in and I don't have to change it because it, it conformed with my, uh, my triple take prediction for this game. I had, uh, he's got old school written out on a notebook here, his uh, top 25. That's pretty impressive. Well, you know, I, I didn't have my credential early, and they didn't. the will call gate wasn't open, so I actually sat in my car. Rick, <laughs> Rick Brienza and Mark Grossman, the, uh, the Mountain Union radio team, walked by and looked at me like, why is this guy sitting in his car? Well, I'm sitting here doing my final top 25, and the heat was on, so you know. <laughs> it, wasn't that, it, was, it was a nice day here in Salem, but it wasn't that nice. And one of the things that turned on today's game was whether the – Linfield-Wartburg pairing would fare better than the John Carroll-Wheaton pairing. And I, I, this was a competitive game, uh, but, you know, uh, I, I think Whitewater was, uh, was measurably better, not just better on the scoreboard. And I, I think that if I'm going to run it out right now, and, of course, this is in my head, but this is uh, it's Whitewater, and I'm good with Mountain Union being second, absolutely, and then Wartburg, and then Linfield-John Carroll-Wheaton, I think is how I would uh, st start the top there. Yeah, the, um, the, the, I guess where we would differ a little bit is that um, I, I definitely have Mountain Union at number two. I thought they were clearly the second best team in the country. They were every bit as, not every bit as good as Whitewater tonight, but right there with them. Um, and they deserve to be number two. And I think this is the first year since 2011 where I've voted the Stag Bowl loser number two. There, there have been the past couple years where uh, with Mary Harden Baylor losing very close semifinal games, I end up putting them number two. Um, so Whitewater, Mountain Union, uh, Linfield, they played their way on my ballot from like th 14 or something before the <laughs> playoffs, like some embarrassingly low place because they came in with the loss in week seven or game seven for them to Willamette. Uh, they, they were the, the, the team of the playoffs. They played their way up to number three on my ballot. with well, uh, And uh, into Coach of the Year honors. As well. Um, Wartburg right there. And then. Five is where it gets dicey for me. I don't, you know, Mary Harden Baylor went out in the second round, but they lost by three to Linfield, and Linfield lost on the on the you know game-winning drive against yeah. Whitewater. So mm -hmm. were they all right there next to each other? You don't want J John Carroll. You don't want them to get too far from Mountain Union. They lost twice to Mountain Union by uh, by just one score. And not to anybody else. Yep. And then after that, you know, I think those are your six. And then after that, Wesley comes in. Wesley, obviously, in, in, in the Mountain Union semifinal, played its way out of probably what would be a top five finish, top four. Yeah, and some other teams that might uh, benefit by uh, reflection. Uh, you know, St. John's might do fairly well. I think St. Thomas is probably in for maybe even a move up, even though they lost uh, because they lost uh, competitively to Warburg. They could certainly see some people uh, thinking better of that. I think better of St. Thomas now than I did at the end of week 11, that's for sure. Um, and then there, there's a Hobart-Johns Hopkins pairing you have to think of, and Widener certainly separated itself from Linfield, not in a positive way, and uh, those sorts of things. Obviously, as you get further down the ballot, there's a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of float, and that's yeah, right. yeah. The the bar is a little the bar for accomplishments isn't quite as high once you get into the teens. You know, I I have North Central on my ballot. They didn't even make the playoffs. Um, yeah, I'm on mine too. Yeah. Some teams that, that played their way in, though, or played their way up during the postseason, Linfield, I mentioned, Texas Lutheran, uh, 
you know, 27-20 against Mary Harden Baylor, outgaining them, holding the ball for what, like 42 minutes in that game. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> what? 42 hours, yeah. Did they have possession when the uh, lightning struck? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, 42 hours. All you right. know, and I don't even know how, I don't know how I didn't think of that joke myself. Dave, Dave McHugh and Frank Rossi. That, that's one of the memorable moments of the year. I mean, Absolutely. When we think back on this year, we're going to think of a game that was playoff game that was postponed by lightning, picked up at like the 1041 mark in the second quarter, played for a minute and a half, and then said, let's postpone this thing till tomorrow and come back and then, and then play so so uh parole with 50 carries in that game just ridiculous great, yeah great and night and, he's and afternoon and day and i feel like that's probably a program that's on the rise we'll be watching for them next year now they got to get out of texas and they, that means they have to go through mary harden baylor they and should they would benefit by playing some teams from outside of that geographic area during the regular season too yeah and they also would benefit if they played them during the playoffs but it's that may not well happen. you may have to go yeah to get in order to get off the island you got to win you can't, uh, like, this. I'm going to go back to baseball. Who's, uh, who's keeping track of my baseball references? What they say about the, you know, you can't walk off the island, right? The, if you're going to be a hitter out of the Dominican Republic, you can't get to the majors by walking. You can't get out of the island in Division Three football by just playing teams on the island. You probably should have just said that without explaining it. Nah, it, it man. sounds good. <laughs> Until you explain it ten times. Uh, and I thought uh, uh, for the last team that maybe played its way onto the ballot in the postseason, Muhlenberg was a team that I was not considering. Wasn't all that thrilled when they got into the postseason, but for them um, to nearly beat Widener, uh, they, may, they may get in my 24, 25. Did you mention spot. Christopher Newport? I think uh, they'll get some votes. Yeah, and, and they, they definitely – had Maybe not in the 25, but they'll get votes. They had the upset of the playoffs by beating DelVal in the first round. Yeah, they, they did all right. Uh, other thoughts from the uh, 2014 season now as we are uh, getting into wrap-up mode. Okay, so we'll wrap up the Around the Nation podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we hit the, the ones I really wanted to talk about were Linfield, uh, you know, the, the lightning game. Um, and, th and then, you know, you just try to think of, of, of big moments and, and programs that, that did special things. And, and to be honest, man, that's all five, six, eight, ten weeks ago. Some of that stuff uh, you, you just forget about. But that's why we have Ryan Tips writing the year in review column the around the nation, the bear. If the thing is, you know, you just take every 244 teams, the best things that happened to them all season, the biggest accomplishments, the numbers that were put up. And, uh, and boil it down into something that people want to read. It's quite a challenge, and it's now Ryan's challenge. So keep an eye out for that from uh, Around the Nation columnist Ryan Tips here as uh, we continue uh, our postseason coverage uh, of 2014 Division Three football. I, I want to thank, uh, of course, all sorts of people who have contributed first to our coverage here tonight, uh, Adam Turer, Ryan Tips, Dave McHugh, who produced all of this six hours, and I'm not going to hit Alt-Tab to find out. It's almost seven. Uh, it's getting there. Frank Rossi, of course, for uh, staying warm on the sidelines, and uh, Keith McMillan. And then, of course, our uh, photographers from our partners, d3photography.com, Steve Frommel, Frommel, Steve Frommel, and uh, Larry Radloff. And uh, then, of course, all, there's all sorts of other people who have contributed to d3football.com over the course of the season in terms of content, uh, talking about uh, Joe Sager and uh, Justin Goldberg. and Josh Smith was here tonight. Josh Smith and uh, Brian Lester. And I, uh, Clyde Hughes and Tom Haley. Um, and I think those are, and then Joe Sager in the playoffs, who's uh, written for us. And you're looking at me like you don't know any other names. No, no, <laughs> you know, because you said Joe Sager twice. 
Did I? Yeah. Oh, I didn't want to forget him, so I led with him, I guess. Joe, he, and he, then he, he did a really good job. Uh, what? Wally, uh, and oh, yeah, that's Greg right. Greg Thomas hey, on uh, Bracketology Night. Hey, and to be honest, that was one of the great improvements of this year that you guys were able to pull off a Bracketology show that, you know, people are listening to at 12.30 in the morning, <laughs> give or take a time zone, uh, for two hours. But the, it was fascinating, and, and people loved it. And, and that's like the, pod, the podcast, you know, if, if, if it's fascinating and people listen to it, you get seven thousand downloads i thought seven downloads would be or 70 would probably be impressive i don't think i would do it for seven probably not but um but you know i honestly we just down there outside the whitewater locker room and someone came up to me and said hey i'm you know I, i'm just a fan listen to the podcast and just want to say you and pat do a great job and and we get that and we appreciate it and the thing that that reminds me is that the reason that all of us are here tonight we do this is because people love d3 football and there's there's just not enough coverage of it so we do the best we can to bring it to you and as long as you guys are out there listening we will uh, do our best to make it compelling we have to thank all the uh, sports information directors and all the coaches who have been so gracious with their time and their support of us over the course of the season and in seasons past i can't name all 244 division three football coaches or sids but you know i'm a good trivia game ah oh gosh we've threatened to do that actually with the coaches uh St. Lawrence. Uh, Joe Raymond. Keniston, that's the SID, no. <laughs> and Mark Raymond is the uh, is the coach. Yes, right. they go you. on. I'm sorry, I know. Uh, but the special thanks, of course, to Chris Lindecki, uh, the uh, SID for Wisconsin Whitewater, and uh, Lenny Reich and uh, his staff at the uh, University of Mountain Union for all their help. And of course, uh, the folks here at the Old Dominion Athletic Conference: J.J. Nekoloff, Molly Robertson, of course, the Commissioner Brad Bankston, Carrie Harvey Cutter, and uh, Joe Saunders, John Saunders, all the folks here at the uh, City of Salem who do a great job putting this on every year. Um, and then, you know, all the people who we leave behind in order to go on this crazy windmill tilting at uh, Division Three football over the course of the season. So thank you to all of our families who uh, we leave at home as, as our families continue to grow. Uh, I'm going to stop naming names. I'll forget somebody. And uh, Frank has something to say. Frank. You know, I just want to add one thing. You make it short. I am. Lance Leipold is somebody who sought us out throughout the week, uh, even tonight or a few days ago or whenever, to thank us for what we do, and it's appreciated that on his way out the door to bigger and brighter pastures uh, at Buffalo, that he still has the, you know, wherewithal to thank us for what we do, and it's been a pleasure. He's a very stand-up guy over the years, and we will miss him in Division Three. Hopefully uh, we get to see him, talk to him down the line. Yeah, it's been a great eight years for him in, uh, at Whitewater and in Division Three. Yeah, I talked to him outside the, the locker room. He had kind of a funny, he said, well, now I'll actually uh, – want to read your, your website because, you know, during the season he doesn't want to see anything bad written about his team or, or – uh, uh, That doesn't happen very often. No, or any, <laughs> you know, get nervous, read about the other guys and, and you get lost and, and you don't, uh, I guess, focus on, on your competition. Now that he'll, uh, he'll be at Buffalo, he'll be able to peek in on us. Uh, and I think, the, the, you know, the fascinating thing now for a lot of people from Whitewater is that uh, they're, they're Whitewater fans and they're also now Buffalo Bulls fans, like totally random two – Places on Earth connected by Lance Lightbolt. He's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. From Salem Stadium in Salem, Virginia, Stag Bowl 42 goes to the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater as they defeat Mountain Union by the score of 43-34. to 34. Thank you for listening to the Around the Nation podcast, and we will be back in September.